This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Vinganza Media podcast about all things in print. This is your host, Stuart in LA, happy to report back for the eighth time in our Philip K. Dick book retrospective series. That's corresponding with the now-playing movie Philip K. Dick series going on. Currently, we're reviewing that film Next by Lee Temahori and starring Nicolas Cage. The original source material was actually called The Golden Man, and it was published in 1954, was written in 1953, and is about 24 pages long. So, And I'm about to spoil all of it. So if you guys haven't read it, it is available at Google Books. Just do a little net search, and you can find it for free for there. Go ahead and read it. Or actually, you might want to hear my review and thoughts on it, and you might not need to read it. I don't know. I gotta say, this is the first real clunker I've read of Philip K. Dick. I've enjoyed aspects of all of his works up until this point, but this one is a stinker. And it doesn't give me much hope for a Nicolas Cage, not well-reviewed movie spinoff, I gotta tell you. It was written during a period of time where Philip K. Dick was struggling with depression and was being prescribed amphetamines. And so he was producing within the band. You'll notice most of our works that we've reviewed were written between 52 and 54, and he was just cranking them out. And I got to say, this must have been a bad day for him because it really doesn't feel like his mind was in the best place. It's also in the public domain. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term, but what happens is when a copyright expires, people can take it as if it's their own and not have to pay for it. And that may be a reason why it was adapted into a movie because they forgot to renew this thing when it came up. And I'm not exactly sure about the particulars, but long story short, some of those Philip K. Dick stories that he wrote during this time period are up for grabs. You could take them and print them in your own book and not have to pay his estate anything. Normally, this happens when I think it's 100 years, and that's why we had all those Jane Austen and Shakespeare movies in the 90s. It wasn't just because we were so mad for olden times. It was that filmmakers didn't have to pay anything, and I'm wondering if that wasn't also the case for this. We want a cheap sci-fi property. We know Philip K. Dick is a name, and we can use that as a selling point. And so here it is, Golden Man, now to become Next. If Next is anything like Golden Man, it means we can anticipate seeing Nicolas Cage completely bronzed like a statue with every woman on the planet fawning at his every ripple because he is the most magnetic mutant ever to be born. I really hope they don't go that route, but I'll go ahead and walk you through the plot as it's described here in Golden Man. It starts actually with a would-be traveling salesman who stopped in a little diner in a town called Walnut Creek, and he's kind of fishing around to see what the townspeople might know about mutants. That's right. We are now in an age, a post-war age. It again appears to be that there was some kind of Cold War, and from the radioactive fallout, there has been 
breeds of people with deformities. And the town folks, once you get them talking, all confirm that they know about a woman with eight breasts or a guy that had bat wings, a German with a giant head, mind controllers from Sweden. All of these mutants have been rounded up and exterminated. And that's sort of the job of this traveling salesman. He's undercover. He actually works for the DCA. And his name is George Baines. And he's trying to find the latest rumor, which is that there is a mutant out somewhere in the boonies here. And one of the townspeople happens to mention, a little boy happens to mention that he's heard about the Johnson's farm having a strange one. So that's how we start. And then we jump to the Johnson's farm. And indeed, it seems like a wholesome, nice would see them on TV family, the 65-year-old dad and his 16-year-old daughter and his 14-year-old son playing horseshoes. And then there's special little Chris. And it takes uh, Philip K. Dick a little while to get around to describing what's so special about Chris. But he has sort of this placid, passive, in his own world, almost autistic quality about him until you ha finally have a physical description that he is a gold-skinned being and he has perfect aim and can leap around with the superhuman strength. He is, as many people will make allusions to throughout the short story, a god, a bronze god. Well, he splits before George Bain shows up and starts poking around asking questions. More cops show up. They're trying to scope the area. It doesn't take long for the family to admit they've been shielding him, that they're afraid that Chris is going to be taken in and exterminated like so many before. And George assures them they're only going to exterminate mutants that are posed as a threat. But it doesn't seem like there's many mutants that don't pose some kind of threat. Difference equals danger, I think, in this world. So it doesn't look good for Chris, but he willingly gives himself up. He comes out of the forest and allows himself to be taken into custody and gets put through a battery of tests in D.C. by a guy named Wisdom. And Wisdom is totally freaked out by the fact that he, quote-unquote, knows things. He knows Everything, actually. He has the ability, we will find out. Not only is he a bronze god permanently without needing to suntan, but he is a future seer and can actually apparently know where everything is going to happen within a half hour time frame. So if you were to pick up a gun, as someone does here, and try to shoot him, he knows exactly where you're going to point, where the bullet will go, and will step out of the way as needed. And it becomes increasingly more difficult as more guards get involved to try and put down Chris. Finally, we get the story told from his perspective. So we've jumped to three different perspectives, and it's a little annoying, I've got to say. But finally, we understand how he experiences the world as he's hiding out in the closet. And basically, the way it works is, with every possible variation that he could do, he sees himself stretching in that way. So he can see a future in which he walks out the door, take a right, take a left, walks out the door, takes a right, takes a right. Again, endless variations. He knows every single one. And from that, almost instantaneous, like we know the past, he knows the future and draws upon it. And he makes the best decision for himself. Well, this is where I really, really have to swallow and, and get through this story. Because this, uh, you might remember if you listen to Paycheck, I was a little bit grousing about the fact that his female character's 
tend to be a little bit, well, let's just say underdeveloped. He doesn't give women sort of the same thoughts and, and humanity that he does as male protagonists. They're often seductresses or naive ornamentation, attractive, uh, seductive, but not really an equal. And God, does that become a real problem with Golden Man. We're introduced to the lone female operative in the DCA, and her name is Anita Ferris. She's in her late 20s, and, and Dick can't help himself but commenting about how pretty she is. And it's not a flattering version of a, of a lady scientist by any stretch of the imagination. And when she sees Chris, she describes him in lots of colorful, uh, funny, let's see, what'd she say? A golden lion, a blonde beast, a beautiful deity. She's stricken. And the scientists basically determine that that's how Chris is going to survive, is that men have the ability to, you know, look past his charms and can fire guns that can just never hope to hit him. But women will fall under his control and do anything that he says. And indeed, this Anita ends up helping him escape from the DCA. And with one woozy kiss, she's finding herself using all of her power to get him out the door past hundreds of guards. And it's a little bit silly. The ending line is actually really hilarious. Quote, he'll never have to worry. He'll get by as long as human women exist to take care of him. Um, and one even jokes that maybe they could go about sterilizing women as a way of preventing Chris from impregnating future brides. But they realized that they couldn't hope, hope to, to do that to every woman that he meets. I mean, yeah, not exactly a progressive view of women. And I know 1950s uh, women were just starting to earn respect in, in the workplace and in all other areas. They were looking beyond domesticity and finding out that suburban housewifery wasn't all that. And so Philip K. Dick is not at the forefront of putting those ideas in literature, let me tell you. But this ends up being a rather tawdry, almost romance novel quality ending in which a, a woman can't help herself but be seduced by the golden man. It's It's silly. So Basically, what you have here is the Daniel Steele version of X-Men, and I don't like that a bit. One can only hope that they take extravagant liberties with the source material that they got for nothing, and maybe this is just one of those in-name-only ties to the source novels, kind of like how Lawnmower Man, the Stephen King story about a Greek deity who chews up sod on your front lawn ended up being a cyberpunk Pierce Brosnan horror movie. Anyway, you can go over to nowplayingpodcast.com and hear what my thoughts are and Brock and Jacob's thoughts are on next. We got one more of these guys. We've got the Adjustment Team, the story that will inspire the Adjustment Bureau opening next week. Tune back to Books and Nachos next week. That will be our final Philip K. Dick entry in the series so again thanks for joining me keep reading and i hope to talk to you soon thank you for listening to books and nachos if you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a review on itunes and you can catch back episodes at our website booksandnachos.com the music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. 
Hooks and Nachos is copyright 2010 Venganza Media Incorporated.